today on CityCast Denver. Should I just start? Yeah. Is that all right? I'm not. Well, it's great. Are you guys ready? Are we ready? Colorado rolled out the red carpet last week for Secretary of Transportation and former presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg, who was in town to help kick off our next big infrastructure mega project, rebuilding and expanding I-70 at the notorious ski traffic bottleneck Floyd Hill. So I think everybody agrees in Colorado that that Floyd Hill pinch is one of the worst places in the state to travel and that something needs to be done. Colorado Sun environment reporter Michael Booth was at Floyd Hill last week and he's on the show today to explain why everyone is so excited to add another lane that we're just going to fill with more traffic. Today is Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. I'm Bree Davies and this is CityCast Denver. like, do you have a child that's into gaming? Is that the headset? The headset I stole from my son. Nobody's (laughs) given me one of those cool things yet, but they did give me a microphone. So I at least have half the deal. Michael Booth, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So we're going to talk about Floyd Hill, which is interesting because I don't know if Denverites all know the place by name, but... I think we definitely know what it feels like to be sitting in our car on Floyd Hill. What is Floyd Hill? Maybe the problem for some people is that the problems for them happen long before they get to anything that says Floyd Hill on it. So you're driving up from Denver, you pass Genesee, then there's a couple of exits. One says Beaverbrook and Floyd Hill. And then you get to the top of what looks seems like a very scary hill and can't see over the top. And then all of a sudden you're being asked to squeeze from three lanes westbound, and there's semi-trailer trucks on your right-hand side who you're trying to squeeze in between, and it may be blizzarding at the moment, and you may be skidding around through four inches of slush, as I've done many times before. And again, long before that, just on any ski trip or summer hiking trip, or if you're a trucker, any kind of commerce and working trip, you might have hit traffic way back at Genesee, or even before that, because of that pinch point which is both a function of losing a lane, which is huge, but then also all the way the traffic behaves on the way down that very steep, sometimes 6% grade hill, and then that sharp corner, and then try to go on your way toward Idaho Springs. So Floyd Hill's like the point where it gets real sketch, basically. (laughs) Floyd Hill at the top, and then the next six miles is real sketch, is definitely the way to put it. I want to talk about this because it uh, it was big news recently. Um, last week, you were out at a press conference under the bridge at Floyd Hill where Senator Michael Bennett stood alongside Senator John Hickenlooper, Representative Jonah Goose, and interestingly, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. This is a great day, I think, for Colorado, a great day for our country. We're uh, delighted to be out here, especially with the local leaders that have fought so hard for so long uh, to improve uh, I-70. I want to thank... So, Michael, what was the occasion for all the fanfare? They were feeling very lucky to get the Secretary of Transportation out here for a couple of days of touring around and looking at projects. And a big part of it was the Floyd Hill project. Colorado's grown at double the national rate over the last 10 years. And yet we've done not nearly enough. We've, We've put some money into the infrastructure, but not nearly enough. This is going to be a big difference. 
So CDOT, their next big project after finishing up a couple of others or being close to doing that, they can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel on that Central 70 project that we've all been weaving our way through on the way out to DIA for the last few years. They finished the I-25 South Gap to Colorado Springs and Castle Rock, which has improved traffic flow quite a bit down there. So the next big project on their menu is a $700 million project to rebuild Floyd Hill and those bridges at the bottom, which are falling apart. They're safe, but they're definitely crumbling slowly. They've identified a lot of the money themselves with the passage of a big statewide transportation bill last summer. And as they mentioned during this press conference, that kind of set the table for not only this project, but also for them being at the front of the line for asking for more federal money. And we're here today to say that we're going to start this project with state money. We hope we're going to have some federal money to complete uh, the project. Uh, but the reason that we're able to do it is because this administration in, in uh, Washington has a new set of priorities. After the feds like to see that the state departments kind of have all their ducks in a row. They've gone through all the environmental planning, have done a lot of local cooperation with businesses and neighbors and have a lot of buy-in when they come to them and say, look, we could really use that extra $200 million to make up, make it all up to 700. And so they were hoping that he would be there and see that. He certainly said positive things about them and about everything they've done so far. But I also want to thank and acknowledge uh, Representative Magoose and uh, Senator Hickenlooper and Senator Bennett uh, for their support for this bipartisan infrastructure law. It is not an exaggeration to say that their support for this historic landmark legislation will directly lead to improvements in the daily commutes, the everyday life, the job opportunities, and the bank accounts of every Colorado. And then he went on from there to Glenwood Springs and Roaring Fork Valley to celebrate some other projects and some other potential improvements. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. So we have to talk about the environmental impacts of a big project like this because the Colorado Department of Transportation just implemented new rules forcing them to consider greenhouse gas emissions for big projects exactly like this. How does Floyd Hill fit into those new rules? It's a good question. And so the state said in passing these rules that CDOT is no longer just an agency that's there to lay pavement. They also have to consider overall demand management and transportation and getting people from one place to another without necessarily burning fossil fuels. And that's now an official part of their mission. So how does this project do it? Well, first thing that Shoshana Lu says as director of CDOT is that even when we made those rules, we allowed for the fact that there are some projects where the pinch points are just so bad that they need to be rebuilt 
almost regardless of the greenhouse rules. But having said that, they did take greenhouse rules into effect as they planned this project. And that part of their solution for that is that they want to use the new Mountain Express Lane that they'll be building to make the area down Floyd Hill a three-lane westbound highway. It will be told, it will probably have an HOV element to it as well, but they're going to add a bus service that can run in that lane, and they're calling it Pegasus. Yeah. Tell me about Pegasus. How is that supposed to work? So you may know about Bustang already. Bustang is going all over the state. The state has become quite a transit agency or transit manager with buses in all directions. The big Bustang cannot travel in this third mountain express lane through most of the mountains. It's not up to federal safety regulations to run full time for big trucks and big buses. So you have to come up with another solution. So they have these small buses that I think are 14 or 15 seats. They're going to have Wi-Fi. They're going to have other creature comforts. And the hope is that they will be running these regularly throughout the day uh, and throughout the week from Union Station with different stops at the Federal Center, then up on up through Genesee and Avon and uh, in between stopping in Frisco and Silverthorne. Uh, Idaho Springs is going to have a transit hub for these things. And the idea is that People will use that, but then also the people who are stuck in their trucks, stuck in their cars, stuck in the full-size Bustang in that second lane over will see little Pegasus flying by in the express lane and people will say, huh, well, maybe I should start using transit next time I go to the mountains. Uh, I'm so conflicted about this because I love that idea in concept. I'm just thinking about an execution. Like my family has a condo in Frisco and like we pack up our car with all our stuff for three or four days. And then we also use our car once we get up there to go from Frisco to Breckenridge or, you know what I mean? And I just, I wonder if offering folks this alternative that's really enticing, right? You're saying Wi-Fi and like the other creature comforts, like making it as like enticing as possible. Do you think that's really going to get folks out of their cars? It can be a hard sell, but they've had really good take up on Bustang. They're hoping for the same with Pegasus. It's going to take a couple things. On one side of the ledger, you're going to need the mountain towns and the state to do that last mile. So you get off at a transit center in Frisco or you get off a transit center, Idaho Springs. There's going to need to be another bus or a van there waiting for you to take you to the grocery store or take you closer to your condo or take you closer to your job site if you happen to be working up there. And then from our side of the ledger, Bree, you and I are going to have to be willing to, once we get there, take that local bus instead of just gra sitting, grabbing our car, getting in our car, which is so convenient, to get to the grocery store and take that shuttle or to get to the Breckenridge Rec Center um, to go swimming at the end of a ski day or whatever. If we're serious about this stuff, we're both going to need to make that kind of sacrifice and that planning ahead. I'd like to think I'll do that, but everything I've heard from transit advocates and experts on this is like widening highways leads to more traffic, not less, you know? It's true. They have studies that, that everybody, including people who have moved from environmental groups into state government, show to be true. They can study stretches of ground and say, when you add another lane, it's good at first. And they're hoping for cuts in traffic during that, you know, in that mi few miles of stretch up to an hour, which is pretty amazing. Um, cutting your travel time in half if this all works out as they plan. But over time, that gets filled up because as Sweet put it, Southwest Energy Efficiency Project, they said, we're all looking at Google Maps on Saturday morning. I mean, none of us are stupid. So we see that, okay, traffic's looking good all of a sudden a couple of years from now. That means we're all going to jump in our cars and go. And so then it fills up again. 
So what is the longer term solution? They, the CDOT is not saying that they'll never think about a train or they'll never consider something bigger, but that right now this is what needs to happen. So we know it's it's really a short term solution. Politicians are looking at the same data to know this is a short term solution. How are they going to sell this project to people? One of the things they say is that, again, it has to happen. So if you've got a bridge that was finished in 1959 and it's structurally sound, but, you know, may not be it won't be forever and can't be simply repaired forever, that needs to get done no matter what. So while you're in there. You know, while you're getting the big surgery, you might as well go in there and fix a couple of other things. And so these other things are part of that, and they hope it'll make a difference. There is a bit of wishful thinking that may or may not turn out to be true. We'll have to see about getting people into things like Pegasus, getting people into Bustang, getting them to carpool more. If you set the HOV lane at you know four plus, for example, uh, encourage people who are already doing skiing carpooling to do that even more maybe that all makes a difference as well. I think balance is the operative word. As uh, Director Lou said, you, you can't always just pave your way out of a congestion problem. We're, we're always going to have roads. We're always going to have cars. Uh, but it's no longer the, uh, the be-all, end-all of transportation policy. And I think decision makers in Colorado have reflected that insight in, in their choices. I've lived in Colorado my whole life. The joke is there's two seasons, winter and construction. Uh, Michael, what's the prognosis for the construction of this project? Like, how long are we looking? When does it start? What are we looking at? So there'll be some preliminary work done this year on kind of some of the extras um, that are not the major reconstruction, uh, destruction and then reconstruction of that big bridge, which is going to be the big deal at the bottom of the curve, bottom of the hill, at the beginning of the curve. That's the one that was finished in 1959, needs to be replaced in both directions. The, the whole thing, the big construction, really could take most of five years, even if things go really well. And that sounds kind of nightmarish to think about things maybe could be even worse for the next five years than they have been. But they are expressing confidence now that they've got this. They know how to plan this. They know how to stage traffic in one set of lanes while they tear down one side of the bridge and then in the other set when they're rebuilding that part of the bridge. But CDOT, this is what they do, and it just needs to get done. Michael Booth, thank you so much. Thanks. It's been fun to talk about it. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. Late Monday night, Aurora City Council approved Mayor Mike Kaufman's proposal to institute a camping ban in Colorado's third most populous city. This comes nearly 10 years after Denver instituted its own camping ban, which has been used to justify near-constant sweeps of our unhoused neighbors and done nothing to address underlying causes of homelessness. Needless to say, I hate this. On a more melancholy note, they're finally demolishing the old Ramada Inn on East Colfax. In its place, a new mixed-use development with first-floor retail, which is fine. I shared some stories and reminisce about good times on Colfax in our newsletter today. So head over to denver.citycast.fm to read that and subscribe. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to that newsletter I mentioned. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Sorry, I'm looking at the transcription.
And it changed Michael Booth's name to Peekaboo. Peekaboo, thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> Peekaboo.